0: Uh, my, my name is Joe Mueller. I'm one of the, the elders here at Remedy, it's, it's my joy and, and honor and privilege uh, to get to, to preach from God's Word this morning. Um, today we're going to be in John chapter 4. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and, and turn there now. Uh, so last week we started uh, exploring this, this story, this narrative, this discussion between Jesus and a Samaritan woman and this week we'll we'll bring that to an end. We'll we'll close it out by looking at John, chapter four, verses sixteen through forty-two. And uh, this morning, uh, the the main point or the idea is that we're going to learn something about the God who is at work uh, in the world, and we'll fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the Lord of the harvest. So, if, if you are able, would you please uh, stand with me? For the reading of God's word. John chapter 4, uh, verses 16 through 42. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you uh, have, the one now, have the excuse me the one you now have is not your husband um, what you have said is true the woman said to him sir I, I perceive that you are a prophet our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you say that in jerusalem is a place where uh, people ought to worship jesus said to her woman believe me the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem will you worship the father You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who's speaking to you am he just then his disciples came back they marveled that he was talking with a woman but no one said what do you seek or why are you talking with her so the woman left the water jar and went away into town and said to the people come and see a man who told me all that I ever did can this be the christ they went out of the town and were coming to him meanwhile the disciples were urging him saying rabbi eat but he said to them i have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I, I tell you, lift up your eyes, and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Please have a seat, and let's pray. Uh, Lord, we we come to you this morning um, in great need. Um, You are uh, the Savior of our souls. You are the one who supplies uh, our need um you are the one who loves us and pursues us and so god we we pray that now would be a time where our hearts are pursued by you where you seek us out and you find us where uh, we, we come to you as those who are weary and heavy laden and find rest for our souls uh, in your goodness to us in your love for us in the work that you have accomplished on our behalf so lord be magnified uh, today um Make yourself known among us, uh, Holy Spirit, be at work, taking uh, the words of of your scriptures and using them for your purposes in your people. Uh, we love you, Lord. Amen. Um, <clears throat> so uh, Jesus is Lord of the Harvest. That's kind of the the uh, the the title, the the main uh, sort of point, point. Um, and because we have. Um, kind of dropped in mid-conversation this week. I'm, I'm proposing sort of a, a big, sort of high, broad uh, outline of, of John 4, uh, 1 through 42. Uh, th- this is a literary unit of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman, and I think we should read it as sort of two main sections or acts. The main emphasis of these two sections is to show that God is at work uh, in the world and that Jesus is the Lord of the Harvest. So the, the first section, uh, I argue, is John 1, or 4, 1 through 26. Uh, so it, it involves the dialogue with the Samaritan woman. And then the second section or act is John 4, 27 through 42. Um, and so in, uh, in that second act is, is kind of what uh, transpires after his conversation with the Samaritan woman. Um, so David walked us through part of Act 1 last week. Um, and so he, 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 if we go ahead and, and change the slide here, there's a, in the first six verses, there's an intro, there's a setting, there's sort of what's going on. Uh, there's this divine appointment that Jesus, on the road uh, to Galilee, passes through Samaria, he sits down at a well, and he meets this, this woman. And then l- last week, David talked to us uh, about the living water of the Holy Spirit that Jesus' promises. Uh, to his people. Uh, He showed us that there's a universality uh, of the gospel that all need it, Um, and and it is for everyone. Uh, He described to us the the gift and the the giver of the the Spirit and and, uh, encouraged us that only living water satisfies our souls, Uh, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can ultimately satisfy us. The the third uh, uh, little literary section in this first act is the goal of the harvest. Um, so we have the means of the harvest in seven through fifteen, and then we have the goal of the harvest in verses sixteen through twenty six. Um, Davis or Davis David walked us. I just merged all those words together. Um, through the setting last week, and demonstrated that the living water of the Holy Spirit. Is the controlling image of the first half of his conversation with the Samaritan woman, the living water that Jesus is promises, the Samaritan woman described in, in four ten, right, and again in fourteen or uh, four thirteen and following. This living water is the same living water that the disciple whom Jesus loved identifies as the Holy Spirit in John seven thirty seven and following. If you look at at verse 10 in your Bibles, right? Uh, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Again, in in verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Uh, The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living, uh, a spring of water Welling up to eternal life. And then from 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit is the water that Jesus gives his people, and it is the Spirit that Jesus offers the Samaritan woman. He, he offers it to her. He says, if you had asked of me, I would have given it to you. So we, we've already seen uh, what this offer means, right? When Jesus offers us the, the Holy Spirit, we've seen from John 3 uh, that the receiving, being born of the Spirit means it will enter And we'll see the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be born of the Spirit. It also means that we'll have eternal life with God forever. So that's John 3, 15 and 16. And then also 4, 14. So Jesus offering the Samaritan woman the the Spirit, he's saying, enter into the kingdom of God. Have eternal life. All you have to do is ask me for it. we have already seen what motivates this offer uh, in God. It is the love of the triune God for the world that motivates his offer. So that's John 3:16, right? For God so loved the world. But I think there is more to this water imagery that John is introducing to us in this text that as best as I can remember, we haven't discussed it all yet in, in our examination of John. And that's, th- that's an agricultural theme. It's this idea that, that water has agricultural Value. Water grows things. And I've uh, tipped my hand if, if we go to the next slide. The controlling theme is one of, of, of a harvest, um, right? That the means of the harvest is the living water of the Holy Spirit. The, the work of the Holy Spirit described here is one of agricultural abundance. He, he helps bear fruit, he grows plants. So um, my, my point is basically this, right? The water that gives life in 7 through 15 should be red and light of the harvest mentioned in verses 35 through 38. Uh, verse 35 says, Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are, are white for harvest. Um, you're a farmer, you plant all your seeds. If you never water it, will it grow? No, right? The, the, it has to have water. Seeds have to have water to grow. I, um, as a boy, I saw this vivid image of this little experiment that we did in elementary school. Um, I don't remember a lot about the experiment. I don't remember the teacher. I don't remember how old I was. But I remember taking a lima bean, which is a big bean, um, if anyone hasn't seen a lima bean. And uh, we, so it's, it's dead, right? A lima bean is dead. And then we took this dead paper, like a paper towel, or like when I was a kid, we had the, the brown paper, which didn't really dry your hands, and you had to use a lot of it. But we took that, so a dead paper on a dead bean, and then we took water, and we poured it on the, the paper towel. And if the, the paper towel got dry, we put more water on it. So we, we had this source of living water that we were, we were putting on the bean. And, and I remember th- uh, it sprouted, right? It, roots started to come out, and you started to have this, this little thing come out. And, and I learned something about the power of water as, as a child in, in that moment, right? The, the power of water is that it unlocks life, right? Water is something that, that, that brings forth yielding uh, of fruit and, and plants. Um, over time, every being that got exposed to the power of that water began to grow roots and leaf and stem. Water had unlocked or imparted life to the being. It had it opened it up and, and made it grow and sprout. And uh, our experience of the Spirit is, is no different. It's no different. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God made us alive together with Christ. He, causing, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as we received the promised spirit through faith, we, we gained new life in Christ. We, were, we, we became a plant uh, in his hands. So in Christ, we are now called to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, that's Luke 3, 8. And Paul in Galatians 3 tells us to walk in the spirit And lists off nine fruits of it, right? He talks about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Jesus, speaking of the fruit his followers will yield, reminds us in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The Spirit gives life to the dead. And the Spirit causes the barren fields of humanity to become ripe for harvest. Jesus is Lord of the harvest because Jesus is the giver of living water. So uh, we're going to now get into a little the, our verses for today. And I want us to remember three things as we continue to explore this agricultural theme from from John 4, the first is that Jesus offers the woman the spirit. We see that in 10, right? He would have given you living water. He's he's offering it to her. The second is like most people that Jesus encounters, uh, she doesn't understand him. (laughs) She doesn't understand what he's talking about at first. Um, And then three is that she ends uh, our our verses from, from last week, verse 15, by asking Jesus for the living water. Even though she doesn't fully understand it, she still thinks it's something that, that she, she may be able to, to drink and not have to come and draw water anymore. She's not tracking. Right, verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or, uh, or have to come here to draw water. And so now, now we're getting into our the third part of our first act where Jesus reveals what God is after in sending The spirit to impart springs of water welling up to eternal life. The thing that God is after is true worshipers. God sends the spirit into the world to get true worshipers. So we see that in verse 23. Uh, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. This is the point that Jesus is, is driving the Samaritan woman to. Uh, but it, I find it incredibly curious how he gets there. Um, if somebody asks you for water, usually what's your next thing that you would say to them? Here, have some water, right? Um, that's usually what you would say. But Jesus in verse 16 says, uh, go call your husband and come here. Um, why did he respond this way? What's going on in the mind of of our Savior as he has this dialogue with this woman? And so my my reading is that Jesus is laying the foundation for the Samaritan woman's testimony among her village that we'll see in in Act 2, the the second literary unit of our passage. Listen to the words of, of her testimony from verse 29. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Uh, in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. The all that I ever did, uh, we have a, a testimony. What, like, what, what is uh, the all that I ever did, we have a testimony of, uh, of in our passage is this. So Jesus um, convicts her of something. Uh, verse 17, the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And as, as we read this statements uh, of, of the woman's testimony and, and Jesus' account of all the things that she ever did, we, I think we should draw two conclusions uh, here. Uh, the first is that the Samaritan woman had a life marred by sin. Uh, both sins committed against her that she suffered, From And sin she committed against others, where she inflicted suffering on others. So in, in short, right, the Samaritan woman was just like you and me. She was just like you and me. And the second thing, the second conclusion, is that Jesus knows this about her. He knows her. And even so, he's already offered her the spirit in verse 10. He's already offered it to her because he wants her as a worshiper. And at this point, as Jesus tells her all the things that she ever did, she seems to start to understand this, the type of conversation she's having with Jesus. You see that in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And so uh, perceiving that she's having a spiritual conversation with a spiritual man, she jumps into a question and debate pertinent to her understanding of God, which is, where should I worship? Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So David told us, right, about the division and animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews last week, so I won't rehash details, but suffice it to say that Samaritans generally saw Mount Gerizim as a place of worship. Right, a lot was going on. They thought Abraham did a lot of really important things there. It's important in, in the book of Deuteronomy, which was their scriptures. Um, so they thought that it was good to worship there. While the Jews uh, would say that the place of worship is, is only in Jerusalem because of uh, the, the rest of the, the Old Testament. And so uh, we've gone from a knowledge of sin. Right, Jesus brings her to a knowledge of her own sin in verses 16 through 18 to uh, a question of worship in verse 20. And Jesus responds uh, by doing three things. Uh, he points to his crucifixion. He identifies himself as a source of salvation. And uh, he, he indicates that the true worship of God is, is wrought by God, is created by God, is, is uh, orchestrated by God. So uh, crucifixion. Uh, where is that in, in our text? It's in verse 21. Uh, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So the hour is coming. And this is re- repeated again in verse, verse 23. Uh, and it should remind us of uh, John 2.4. That's something that, that we've read already where uh, Jesus at the, the marriage feast of Cana, his mother kind of is like, There's no wine. And he's like, woman, my hour has not yet come. And we pointed out at, at that time that, that this is a, a reference to his crucifixion from John 7.30 and, and 12.23. Um, in right, 7.30, they, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And then in John 12.23, so they were seeking to, oh, I just, I made a mistake, um, it's uh, John 12, 23. Um, I copied and pasted the same. Um, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Right, talking about that it's time for his crucifixion uh, to, to happen. He's ready to be arrested He's ready to be crucified. He's ready to glorify his father with his his death. So the hour has not come, and John is almost exclusively a, a reference to this idea that Jesus is on the road to his crucifixion where he will be the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. Jesus then tells her, uh, and us, that salvation is from the Jews. You see that in verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. This is uh, identifying the, the coming Messiah as, as being a, uh, of the Jews, coming from the Jews. Uh, so, and so with this twofold announcement to the Samaritan woman, Jesus indicates uh, that it is through his hour of glorification at the cross That his work as Savior will transform the old systems of worship, both for Jew and for Samaritan. But the hour is coming, verse 23, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So uh, spirit and truth here in verse 23 should be read similarly to water and spirit from from 3:5, where spirit indicates something non-corporal, corporeal in nature. Right, it's, it has no body. It's it's spirit. It's not created. Uh, um, the it, it has it's created. Spirits are created. Uh, God is not created. So it says God is spirit, he's not created, but we are created and we have spirits. Uh, but it's just non-corporal, cor- it doesn't have a body. Um, the worship that God requires must be in truth. It must be to the tri- to, unto the triune God alone, ascribing him the glory due to his name, remembering his works among his people, expressing our fear and love and praise and lament and petition and our calling upon and our trusting in and our service with all the heart and with all the soul and with all the might unto God alone. But more than the simple uh, corporeal manifestation of words and thoughts, right? When we worship, we think that we say words, we think thoughts, we have uh, emotions. Um, our worship, too, must be spiritual in nature. God, who is spirit, must be worshiped in spirit. So, so think about this, mere forms of truth Right? Mere form, so that's either the words that we say in the songs that we sing, or uh, the prayers that we pray, or, or the preaching that we listen to or that we deliver, or in the, the sac- even the sacraments we perform, Right, the, the, the Lord's Supper and, and baptism, even our emotional postures right, that we take up as we do any of these activities like our feeling of, of joy or a feeling of, of brokenness or a feeling of sadness or a feeling of, of excitement, these feelings even, if, if they, these are mere forms we adopt, they are meaningless and empty and benefit us nothing if we have not been born again by the spirit of life sent by Christ to worship God in spirit and in truth. But praise be to God, Because of the great uh, love with which he loved us, he gave us his only begotten son, so that all who believe in his name are given the right to become children of God. And if you gaze upon the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, and behold him as he is, and believe in his name, and call upon his name to be saved, then as Ephesians 1.13 says, in him you also, when you heard The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And for in Ephesians 4:30, it continues, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you are in Christ, Jesus has given you the living water of his spirit, just like he offered it to the Samaritan woman. Jesus is Lord of the harvest. Because Jesus is the giver of the living water that creates true worshipers of God. The Samaritan woman is starting to figure something out as she listens to Jesus. She's starting to understand the man that he is. And she takes the conversation exactly to this spot. Who gives life and who creates worshipers, right? Uh, Who will replace Moses and instruct the people of God how to worship who will feed them on this journey in the wilderness? Who will accomplish this work? Uh, verse, verse 25, right? The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. This is the, the, the sixth and final thing that the Samaritan woman uh, says, the sixth statement that she has in her conversation with Jesus. If you read back through the narrative up to this point, you'll notice that Jesus has made six statements as well. So at this point, they're both six and six. What we have next is a seventh statement Jesus makes in his dialogue with the daughter of Samaria. And I want to read it from the NASB to preserve a bit of the the force that John intends for us to read here. At verse 26, Jesus said to her, I am the one speaking to you. And in his seventh statement, Jesus claims his title as Messiah and he speaks of himself as the deity, the great I am, Yahweh. The great I am has revealed his name to the woman he met at the well. God is with her. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's how it it reads in our ESV. So so Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is there at the well with the woman. And and by way of of application, I want us uh, to get us thinking this week more about what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. What does it mean for him to be the Christ? And uh, I absolutely love how the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a a 17th century uh, document, um, it summarizes the teaching of the Bible on this topic? What does it mean that Jesus is called Christ? So I'm I'm gonna read uh, question and answer 31 and 32. I I commend them to you. Go home, read them some more, meditate on them. There's scripture references, read them. Think about uh, who Jesus is as as Christ. So why is he called, and I use the Heidelberg Catechism because there was an old guy, his name was Hercules Collins in 17th century uh, Baptists got, a, got uh, persecuted a lot. I don't know if everybody knows that, but people really didn't like Baptists back in the day. And to show how orthodox the Baptists were, he took the Heidelberg Catechism and baptized it. He changed some parts about baptism, but he accepted the Heidelberg Catechism basically in its entirety, except for the parts about baptism. Um, and I really like Hercules Collins, so that's what I do too. <laughs> um, so Heidelberg Catechism uh, why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Talking about the person of Jesus. The answer it gives is because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we saw that earlier in, in John, how the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And what is he anointed to be? Uh, to be first our chief priest, and, uh, chief prophet, and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. He's to be our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father. And he is to be our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom he has won for us. So that's what it means for Christ to be our anointed. This is summarizing the the teaching of the Bible. Uh, Question 32 says, but why are you called a Christian? The answer it gives is because by faith I am a member of Christ and so share in his anointing. Right, Jesus gives the living water, the the Holy Spirit to us. I am anointed to to confess his name, to present myself as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for eternity. And so my encouragement this week as you go from here is, is find time this week and sit under these brief summaries of the teaching of God's word and that the truth of Jesus' anointing is revealed in Scripture and its impact on of your life, draw him into worship, draw you into worship of him. Right? What does it mean to, to know that Jesus is my king? And he commands my destiny. And that he guards me and protects me and keeps me safe. And no one can snatch me from his hand. What does that mean for me this week? So this this ends Act 1 with this announcement that Jesus is deity and Messiah status. Jesus is the I am and he is the Messiah. He is the savior of the world. And that that ends uh, Act 1. Uh, and act two begins, right? You can sense this change of scene uh, occurring. If this were a movie, right, you would have like the shot coming and then Jesus is sitting by the well and then the Samaritan woman's walking up and then they have this conversation and then all of a sudden it's changing scenes and you see the disciples approaching and the jar. She's like, oh, I'm leaving. And, and, and that, it's this change of scene going on. Um, and so literally the second scene has three sections just like the first uh, and they're organized, I would say, like this. The, the first is there's a sowing Samaritan woman. We see that in verses 27 through 30. We see the mechanics of the harvest in 31 through 38. And then we have a reaping Jesus and his disciples in 39 through 42. Eh. Um, so the first, act, uh, the first and third section of this act serve to provide an example and an emphasis on the central point of Act 2. And that's the harvest. In harvest, there are sowers and reapers. Uh, so the sowing Samaritan woman. Just then, uh, verse 27, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, "Why do you? Uh, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town uh, and were coming to him. So the woman... Right, she's just recently been sown and reaped by Jesus at the well. Right, he, he offers her the Holy Spirit. She, uh, she accepts it. Um, and then she is made a true worshiper of, of Jesus. In those, I don't know, however long that took. And so immediately she now turns into a sower in the Lord's employ. Leaving her jar at the well, she heads into town to give a report, a testimony to her fellow Samaritans. And, and notice the basic, uh, at a basic level, the content of her sewing ministry in, in verse 29, right? Come and see. Uh, that's how it, it starts, come and see. She invites people to come to Jesus and to see for themselves who he is, right? Then, then she, she uh, offers a conviction of sin, right? He told me all that I ever did. And it, is, it, it does two things at the same time. First, it's an omission of her own participation in sin, right? She says, I'm a sinner. And second, it's a testimony that Jesus knows her and Jesus loves her. Then there's also a proclamation of of the person of Christ, right? Can this be the Christ? Is he the one who will tell us all things? Does he offer living water to a person like me? And the way this question is framed is an indication that the woman believes Jesus, right? And it serves as an invitation for others to do the same. He's offering living water. Can this be the Christ? Come and see. After the testimony of the woman, we we are brought back to the well where the disciples are trying to get their rabbi to eat. This is the the mechanics of the harvest section in verses 31 through 38. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And so just like the Samaritan woman, the disciples are slow on the take to understand that Jesus is talking about something spiritual. Uh, verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is similar to saying that, that uh, Jesus gives in response to the temptation of the devil in Matthew 4.4 4 and Luke 4.4. 4. Um, both, they're both the four fours, um, which is itself a quotation of Deuteronomy 8.3. Uh, 8.3 in Deuteronomy reads, and he humbled you and that you hunger And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, at at this point, he's trying to raise the spiritual intelligence of his disciples by pointing to a spiritual nourishment he receives by obedience to the single divine will of the triune God. They are focused on the material world, but Jesus has just added To the number of sheep protected in the palm of his hand. He has brought the lost sheep home. He has found the lost coin. His prodigal daughter has returned to him. And he keeps up the focus on the spiritual. Verse 35: Do not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Yet four months, then comes the harvest. Uh, this is probably like a colloquial saying uh, his disciples would have been familiar with. It, it gives a sense that we've got some, some time, right? There's some time to come before harvest. There's no need to hurry. But Jesus wants their eyes to be open to the harvest of souls. There are brothers and sisters out there waiting to find their forever home in the arms of Christ. Verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Uh, We should read these verses as having an immediate referent uh, of the conversation of Jesus with the Samaritan woman. Jesus reaped and gathered her for eternal life. But now, She has turned around and become a sower. She is sharing her testimony and calling others to come to Christ. The others have labored Is Jesus referring to his work with the Samaritan woman and her work among the townspeople. She is a co-laborer with our Lord and our God. The disciples enter into this labor wrought by Jesus and the Samaritan woman as reapers. And that continues in verses 39 through 42. This is the reaping of Jesus and his disciples. Uh, many Samaritans from the town believed in him, and because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them two days, and many more believed because of his word. Just as Jesus didn't actually baptize anyone, right? We see that in 4.1. It is likely here that Jesus and his disciples worked together to reap the harvest in Sychar. The sowing of the Samaritan woman and the reaping of the disciples produce an abundant harvest and a new witness. Verse 42, Jesus said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus is Lord of the harvest because Jesus is the giver of living water that creates true worshipers, Of God. The Samaritan woman and the town of Sychar are proof. You and I are proof. And I want to leave you with this encouragement from Jesus to those who come to him for his living water, for those who want to be a true worshiper of God. When his disciples came to Jesus to learn to pray, uh, Luke records Jesus as instructing them in, in this way in Luke 11. And I want it to be an encouragement to you um, who may be thirsty for living water. Uh, Luke 11, verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Um, Like, what a jerk, right? Who goes to their friend's house and asks for a loaf of bread? And, and Jesus knows this. Uh, he will not answer, for, uh, in he, verse 7, he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. This is the model of how we should approach God in prayer. This is the model. We come to him at any hour of the day, all the time, because he is a God, right? In verse nine, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you are someone who wants to be with God, Who wants to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? If that's something you want, God will be a good father to you. And he will give you his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you are the God of the harvest. And that you send your Holy Spirit to do your work among your people. And that you come and you save sinners like me and sinners like us. And there are sinners out in the world that you still want to save. Lord, let us not be ashamed of that. Let us love that message and want to share it with as many people who will hear like this Samaritan woman. Let us be like Jesus, who, who seeks to do the will of the Father in heaven. Your will. Jesus, help us to do your will. Encourage us as we feel weak, and we feel frail, and we feel empty, and we feel broken and sad. Strengthen us as we feel joy and excitement. And um, strong and powerful. Lord, be near to us and give us your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.